You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me, as always, is my co-host, Mike. How you doing, Mike? Not bad. How are you? I'm okay. If I seem a little bit grumpy today, it's because my wife and I are quitting smoking. So... Oh, okay. Well, that's good, though. And if my, my brain doesn't work as fast as it normally does, not that it works that fast anyway, that's probably why. Because smoking kills you, but it's a great uh, nerve synapse stimulator. But uh, anyway, I guess uh, speaking of dying... Uh, R.I.P. Bob Einstein. Many of you probably know him as Super Dave Osborne if you grew up around the era that Mike and I did. Some of you may know him as Marty Funkhauser from Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's the guy that talks like this. Now here's what you're going to do. But uh, he uh, he unfortunately uh, passed away after uh, an extended illness uh, and... As many of you know, we're fans of Norm MacDonald. He uh, appeared on uh, Norm MacDonald's Live on YouTube, the uh, the show that Norm had before he had the Norm MacDonald Has a Show on Netflix. And he was absolutely brilliant on Norm's show. They they were good friends and, and worked well together. You should do yourself a favor and check out that YouTube uh, thing with... Uh, with Bob Einstein, Super Dave, as as, as uh, Norm always insists on calling him. But uh, yeah, sad news, Mike. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't. I, I mean, he's an older person. I didn't know he was ill or anything like that. That is sad. He was on Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's hilarious. Every time he meets on screen, I'm just like, oh, this is going to be a great episode, and it <laughs> always is. Yeah, he 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 had. Uh, he certainly had. Very good comedic timing. He started out writing. I know he wrote for the Smothers Brothers and some other shows. I think he wrote for Dick Van Dyke's revival show in the 70s. Uh, then, obviously, in the 80s, he became more popular as a performer as Super Dave. A uh, Basically, for anyone that doesn't know, was a, um, like a parody of Evil Knievel or some sort of daredevil-type person like that, where basically all of his stunts would always fail. <laughs> But it was quite, you know, I'm not huge into physical comedy, but I, I always enjoyed that one. So, R.I.P. Bob Einstein, uh, survived by his brother Albert Brooks, uh, because I guess he doesn't want to go by Albert Einstein. Yeah. <laughs> but that uh-huh. but that is his real name. I, they, they are related to the, you know, the famous Albert Einstein, the physicist, in some way. I'm not sure exactly how. Cousin or, or great-great-uncle or something like that. But uh, yeah, sad news there. Um, more sad news for you, Mike, because I know that you are an enormous fan of the Star Trek movies, the new J.J. Uh, Abrams produced Star Trek movies that have come out. That's that's your jam, right? Uh, no, I haven't seen them and I won't and I hope they uh, bankrupt the studio. Well, apparently you're getting your wish because Star Trek Four has been shelved by Paramount. They uh, will not be producing it uh, anymore. Uh, they, uh, I know they had some some problems with both Chris Evans and Chris Pine. They were not Chris Evans. I'm sorry, uh, Chris Pine. I can't keep my Hollywood Chris's 
uh, straight. Chris Pine, who played uh, Captain Kirk, and Chris Hemsworth, who was going to come back, who in the first movie played a very small role as Captain Kirk's father, who died, and he was going to come back in the new movie. I think there was some sort of time travel or something involved in it. But the movies have... The first one did pretty well. After that, they haven't done extremely well uh, monetarily-wise, so Paramount is shelving it, and obviously they're doing some stuff on TV. I don't know if you've heard, Mike, but uh, Captain Picard is apparently coming back in a new Star Trek show that's going to be on CBS All Access. I don't know exactly what that's going to be, if he's still going to be in in Starfleet in some way, or if he's going to be retired, maybe it's just going to be him picking grapes on his, you know, winery farm. That would be fun. I wouldn't watch anything, but uh, I do like the one Star Trek thing I like is the Family Guy episode that uh, has the cast of Star Trek. Oh yeah, yeah. Because you know, just like Star Trek is just like seeped into like you know general knowledge, so I know enough about it to kind of know what the characters are and stuff. Right. It's just like a hilarious uh, episode of them just being like the most annoying people ever. That is a good episode. I like uh, when they're going to the fast food place and uh, Picard is is so mean to Will Wheaton and everything. like the whole thing is just funny. But yeah. Yeah. Um, Wasn't Quentin Tarantino going to direct this one? Actually, this one was going to be directed by a woman. It was going to be the first time that a woman directed a Star Trek movie. CJ, oh, what is her name? CJ something. But uh, yeah, now she's moving on. This is one of the indications of why they're shelving it, because she's moving on to the Game of Thrones prequel. So she will be directing there and now uh, won't be directing this. Uh, C.J. Clarkston. I'm Uh, I'm sorry, S.J. Clarkston. Oh, yeah, I don't know. But yeah. Quentin Tarantino was supposed to direct this, but he was some some reason not doing it anymore. He was going to direct another one. Basically, I think the way they envisioned it playing out is that S.J. Clarkson was going to direct this one, the fourth movie, and he was going to direct a, a not like a one that's not tied into the to the franchise, a Star Trek movie, but not necessarily tied into the franchise. I was interested to see what he would do with a Star Trek movie, but yeah, um, same here. What's weird is uh, he did he did some rewriting for the movie Crimson Tide. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever see that. It's just such a weird, like you know, movie for him to like have dialogue in. But yeah, it's 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 just it would it would have been interesting. I still don't think I would have seen it, but I am a big Quentin Tarantino fan. But uh, speaking of things that you're not a fan of, no, I think actually you might like this. Um, I saw a trailer for a new show on Netflix called Sex Education. It stars Gillian Anderson from the X Files. And, um, I can't think of his name off the time I had off to look it up, but, um, basically Jillian Anderson plays a, the the mom and she's a sex therapist and, uh, Asa Asa Butterfield, uh, who's, who's a good actor. I've seen him in a few different things. I like him a lot. He's uh, her son and he's starting high school 
and he and his friend decide that they're going to become popular and help people out and everything since everyone in high school is thinking about sex or having sex or whatever that he's going to basically play sex therapist to the students in the school and collect money from them as a it's a way for this one girl to make money and for him to i don't know be a sex therapist but it, it looked very it looked very funny uh, I like it. Uh, I think it's going to be very good. I, I liked a lot of what I saw in the trailer. So that is coming out, I believe, uh, in the middle, towards the middle of this month, any day now. I think, actually, I believe it comes out the 11th. So it will be a, the day after this airs. What uh, what station is it on again? It's Netflix. Ah, okay. Yeah, man, watch that then. I think he he was the kid who was in uh, Ender's Game. I think is Ender. He was pretty good in that. That's right. Yeah, and I like I like Jillian. Uh, 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 yeah, I like her a lot. So I think that uh, I have to say I think, I think it's a sh- I'm sorry I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, say so I think it's a shame that Ender's Game wasn't a more popular movie because it was actually a really good like surprisingly good adaptation of the book. Yeah, I I actually I liked the movie a lot. I've read the book. Um, there's, I know there's controversy over Orson Scott Card, which is probably what led to a lot of, you know, yeah, he's, issues with it. He doesn't like gay people very much. But, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, yeah, kind of controversy there for sure. But uh, the, the overall story and everything I thought was pretty good. And Harrison Ford uh, seemed at least like he was kind of trying in the movie. It was a really good choice for that role, too. Like, that's someone I would have never thought of, but as soon as I heard he was going to play him, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a perfect choice. Yeah. Grumpy Gramps Harrison Ford. Yeah, I really like the the book um, and, like, a couple of the other books. I mean, I didn't read the whole series. I mean, it was a really good adaptation of, like, a classic, uh, you know, youth, like, science fiction book. Or really not even youth. Yeah. Yeah, and I wish they had more. I wish... There were more science fiction movies like that out there. A lot, the, like a lot of science fiction today is sort of like action science fiction. They're they're science fiction elements mixed with basically action movies. And I wish that there was more straight sci-fi. But I think a lot of audiences today would find stuff like that boring. Yeah. Um. The other bit of news that I had today was that uh, Idris Elba is going to be one of the headliners at Coachella, the music uh, the music festival, because apparently uh, Idris Elba is quite the DJ artist, uh, or whatever they call him, uh, DJ star. Uh, he started when he was around 14, and for a while, that's all he was doing was being a DJ, excuse me, until he... Um, Till he became a uh, movie star, obviously, but he still goes back to it from time to time, and he's focused a lot more on it recently, apparently, and he's in demand in a lot of different places, I assume, yeah. not just for his fame. Yeah, that's, like, uh, surprisingly lucrative, like, the DJing, like, field. Mm-hmm. Like, if, on the top entertainers, like, often, like, the top, you know, few will be DJs. Yeah, and apparently he's very good, so he will be at Coachella along with, you know, everyone else that is performing there. Coachella is not something I really follow too closely, but, um, yeah, same here. 
But yeah, so it'll be interesting to see uh, to see him Stringer Bell uh, to uh, be a DJ. The other thing that happened, and I'm sure you did not watch this, was uh, the Golden Globes. I watched like a little tiny bit of it. Oh, sweet Mike sacrificing for the podcast. Um, I saw a lot of people were uh, were upset that the Queen movie won the. Uh, the best movie award. I, a lot of people assumed Remy Malek would win best actor because he, he did a very good job as Freddie Mercury, but a lot of people did not like because black, it was up against black Klansman, black Panther. If Beale street could talk, the Beale street movie is one that I have not seen yet, but I want to see that. And when Oscar time starts to roll around, towards the end of this month and everything when the nominations come out, I will, I'm sure, end up watching that. I usually end up watching as many of the movies that are nominated as I can and then writing some articles and prediction stuff about it. So that's one that I'm definitely going to check out. Uh, But yeah, a lot of people were upset about that. You haven't seen the Queen movie yet, have you? I haven't seen any of the movies you mentioned, no. Yeah, that's and I have no intention to see any of them. <laughs> we might have to talk about the Oscars, Mike. I might have to bring in a, a special guest. Hey, whatever. But, um, yeah, so I watched that. Uh, I thought it was fairly interesting in certain parts. Um, Andy Sandberg and Sandra O oh hosted, and they did... About as good of a job, I guess, as you can do being the host. They didn't, they didn't get in the way, and they were mildly funny. It's it's very. I don't like criticizing people who host the Oscars or the Golden Globes or things like that because that's that's a really difficult job. There are not many people that can do it well. The about I can do it. Well, that's true. Mike should be hosting the Oscars this year. I think. Hey, oh, uh, Kevin Hart was on Ellen. Did you did you see anything about that? I saw like a headline that Kevin Hart was on Ellen, and like she wants him to be the host now or something. I, I don't really understand or care about any of this. Yeah, they had a they had a big uh, conversation about uh, what happened, and she basically said what you said on the podcast was that he'd apologized for it already. It was in his past; it didn't really matter. And she loves him and thinks that. Uh, he should host the Oscars, which I thought was at least positive as opposed to just people, you know, ganging up on someone uh, pitchfork style and trying yeah, to. Yeah, that's, that's refreshing for sure. Yeah, exactly. So so I liked it as far as that. I think Alan is, is pretty cool. Uh, I, I like her. I like her attitude. Uh, I don't know a ton about her, but I like her attitude on, on this stuff, just having a conversation and being like, look, you know. You you know she was really lobbying. You should go back and do it. I don't think he's going to, but uh, his. Yeah, I I, th- I mean I wouldn't watch it because he would be the host. But I think he'd be a good host. You know at least mm-hmm. better than average. Usually when they have a stand up comedian, they're the better of the hosts. Yeah, the the best hosts of the Oscars that I ever saw, and obviously this was kind of before I was born, but I've seen stuff on YouTube. Is Bob Hope? I thought was really good, 
and he used to do it all the time, like almost every year. And uh, Johnny Carson, when he did it in the 70s, I thought was was very good. And part of the reason Johnny Carson was so good at doing it is because some of the best Johnny Carson monologues for anyone old enough to remember his show were ones where the jokes didn't work and he kind of bombed. He, somehow he made it funnier to, to bomb than to actually deliver uh, uh, successful jokes. So... That's kind of that's sort of the skill that you need is to be able to make jokes that don't totally work entertaining because there's a lot of them in these award shows. But uh, next we'll get we'll get into uh, what we're watching. It kind of dovetails well with the the um, Golden Globes talk. Uh, I watched Roma, the movie on Netflix from uh, Afonso Cuaron. Uh, about the I what's gypsies? <laughs> no, it's uh, it's about <laughs> it's about a uh, a um I don't want to say maid like domestic worker in Mexico City during the seventies, and it's based a lot on his life growing up in Mexico City during that time. And the domestic servant that his household had, who he loved, but sort of took for granted or didn't really see as a whole person. So it's kind of her about her life. And it's very good. I like the movie a lot. It's black and white, which is one of the things that I really do not like about the movie at all. Because I don't know if you'll agree with me on this or not, Mike. But I would say the late 60s and the 70s are maybe the some of the most colorful times that we've ever lived through as far as fashion goes uh you know architecture the you know art the way things were decorated everything was bright vibrant colors and i thought it was really weird to to film this and maybe mexico was different during that time but i really don't think so but i thought it was very odd to film this in black and white given how colorful of an era it was it didn't really feel like a movie from the 70s it felt much older than that so i didn't i didn't love that about it there were a couple other things that i didn't love about it and i don't rave about it as much as a lot of people who have seen it but i thought it was a solid film uh what have you been watching this week mike well, I finally finished after starting it about a month or so ago. Uh, the series Justified. Okay. How did, uh, did Justify get the guy? Um, no, not exactly at the end, but it was no. He kind of did, but kind of didn't. It was it was a really satisfying ending, though. You know, it like wrapped up nicely. It wasn't like Justified, like you know, drives a boat into a hurricane and ends up in Oregon or something <laughs> like that. You know? Being a, like that, being a logger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing stupid like that. <laughs> I mean, no, it was a really good series. I mean, it was like a really good adaptation of an Elmore Leonard, like you know, idea, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's uh, Elmore Leonard is is one of my favorites. I, I assume that the dialogue in the show was was very good and and sharp. Oh yeah, it, it was. Yeah, because uh, Elmore Leonard is for those who haven't read Elmore Leonard. Elmore Leonard is probably most known for his dialogue. Very very good writer of dialogue. Yeah, like it, he had a direct influence, but I think he had passed away before the series had mm-hmm. wrapped up. Yeah, I mean, they definitely were. Yeah, in fact, I believe there was a dedication to him at the very end of the series. Okay, yeah, the, the writers definitely were fans of him, and or at the very least, took a lot of his suggestions, you know, to heart because it was 
it was very Leonard-esque, which is not a bad thing at all. No, no, Amor Leonard is great. Uh, and and from this area, lived in Bloomfield Hills. Um, the other thing that I watched was Tusk, the Kevin Smith movie, because uh, it's on Netflix, and I guess I just took the opportunity to be a Kevin Smith completist now, to have seen all his films. So I watched Tusk. It's not bad. I have to say, I was really, really surprised. Um, I've heard nothing but horrible things about it. I still don't like Johnny Depp's character in it. I I think that's the most jarring, dumb thing about it. It's very different from a lot from pretty much any any other of Kevin Smith's movies because it's basically a horror movie. It's it's very dark. It's very atmospheric. I think the direction in the movie is very good. And the strength of the movie is basically Justin Long. And Justin Long is excellent in the film. Justin Long plays a podcaster who's a failed stand-up comedian who used to be this sweet guy and everything, but he's a complete asshole now. And, um, you know, as a podcaster. And he goes and finds these different people who have done things or or whatever uh, that have made them infamous on the internet, and he interviews them. And he was going to interview this one guy that accidentally cut his leg off doing, uh, it was like, it's like the Star Wars kid thing with the fake lightsaber, but he had a real sword and he was doing like Kill Bill moves, and he cuts off his leg, and here's another... Here's another failure of the movie. Now, this is completely budget-wise, you know, so that's that's why this happens. But when he cuts his leg off, because you actually see the YouTube video, when he cuts his leg off, it's you and I could make a better special effect than the special effect is. It looks... It, it, it can't... I mean, it's sort of funny, but not horrifying in any way. And I think that's the point. The point is to be kind of sickened by what he does and to like, as these guys, these podcasters are laughing at him to be like, you know, you guys are fucking dicks. Like, you know, you know, to, to have that kind of attitude because they the characters go through an arc in this, uh, in this movie. And so it looks so fake. It's, it's one of the worst special effects I've seen, but the strength of the movie is Justin Long and the guy that plays his captor and their conversations in his house because that's sort of the underpinning of the film is Justin Long ends up getting uh, captured by this guy in Canada and he wants to turn him into a walrus which is why the you know the movie Tusk because he had a uh, he was washed ashore with a walrus at some point in his life and spoilers for this movie if you guys want to watch it don't listen to this part he ended up having to eat the walrus before like right before he got rescued he like uh broke down and started eating the walrus and i guess he's carried this guilt with him the, the his entire life so what he does is he abducts different people tries to turn them into a walrus and he wants them to kill him basically they fight and only when they truly embody the spirit of the walrus Will they defeat him? So he's killed a bunch of people doing this. But um, the strength of it is their conversations. And it's it gets really atmospheric and it's really good as a uh, kind of a tense, no jump scares or anything like that, but it's kind of a, like a tense psychological horror film. 
and it's very mu- unlike a lot of things that Kevin Smith has done. I, I actually, I really enjoyed the movie. I may check that out then. But, uh, they, I mean, there are definitely, stu- there's definitely stuff that's dumb about it for sure. Um, and like I said, the special effects thing, there's some other lines here and there, jokes here and there and stuff like that, that, uh, I don't think really totally fit the tone of the film. I can see a lot of little things that could have been done differently to make it a lot better of a movie, but I enjoyed it just even for that part of the conversations between the two of them, because it really does build a a good atmosphere. Have you been watching anything else, uh, Mike this week? Um, no, but this week I am going to the Midnight Movie Show to see Terminator 2. Oh, uh, looking nice. Looking forward to that. Yeah, Terminator 2. One of my favorite 2. movies. I've seen it. I saw it first on the big screen, like in the, you know, when it came in the theater. Yep, 91. Um, so it would be nice to go again. Yeah, something like that. Yep. Yeah, that's a, uh, that is one of the best ones out there, obviously. Um. And, and I'm also looking forward to, uh, Glass coming out. I think it's next Friday. Yes. So that'll be a rarity for me going to the movie theater two uh, times in two weeks. I can't think of the last time I did that. <laughs> right. And we will be doing uh, an episode on Glass when it uh, when it comes out. We will watch it and uh, we'll give you our thoughts on it. I'm hoping it's good. I think it has the potential to be good. Obviously, I liked Unbreakable. That was That's probably my favorite M. Night Shyamalan film. Um, and I thought Split was good. You know, I, there's he's done better, but... I thought it was certainly a return to, you know, more of the things that he's successful at doing. And uh, so I hope that this one's good, but I'm I'm really nervous, Mike, that your prediction yeah. about the, about <laughs> the, the twist. I, the more I see the promotions, the more I think I'm correct. Oh, God. I mean, that's going to be, if that's the twist, I'm going to be, I, you know, I just, I don't even want this one to have a twist. There's no... There's no need for it. Just ha- a straight, you know, grounded in reality superhero movie, basically, where he has to fight against these two guys, I think would be fine. That's not what's going to happen, though. No, I know. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Mike, way back when, I believe... I think it was the very first episode that we did. Uh, yeah, maybe. When um, we were talking about uh, Jungle to Jungle brought up that he likes reading the um the parents guide on uh IMDb and stuff like that for for different movies and uh we decided that uh we're going to make a segment out of it maybe uh maybe it'll be a recurring segment like all our segments maybe it won't be but um but we this uh what we're going to do is we're going to read the parents, uh, the parents guide, the warnings and stuff from a few different, uh, a few different movies. Um, and, uh, Mike, you want to go first or you want me to go first? You can go first. Okay. So the first one that I'm going to do is one of my kids' favorite movies, which is Inside Out. Uh, they love this movie a lot. I, I enjoyed it very much. This is one of those uh, rare Pixar ones that I saw in the theater. I actually saw it a couple different times. But um, so we start out as they start out with all their um, their parents guides with sex and nudity. So here's the sex and nudity in the Pixar cartoon Inside Out. As a toddler, Riley runs around the house naked after a bath. 
her butt is briefly shown, <laughs> parentheses, played for laughs. In the end of the movie, a new console is installed for the emotions. Disgust discovers a button labeled puberty on the console. She asks, what is puberty? Incorrectly pronouncing it. Qu- parentheses, played for laughs. I, I, I don't know how that, I mean, I guess that very indirectly plays into sex. But uh, I don't know. I think that's a stretch. Uh, Finally, Riley has a nightmare in which she shows up to school not wearing pants, but only her bare legs are shown. Here's the violence and gore from Inside Out. Anger ends up punching and choking fear. Anger ends ends up shoving fear and disgust twice. Fear is often on the receiving end of cartoon violence, often from anger. And then characters are put into peril. Couldn't that be for just about any movie? Characters are put into peril. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a movie where a character was not put into peril. <laughs> so not here, even documentaries, like American movie. Right. So here's profanity. Anger says, may I say the curse word now? Which I, uh, does that count as profanity? He, he just says, may I say the curse word now? He doesn't actually say it. What? <laughs> uh... Incomplete use of son of a bitch towards the end of the movie pronounced this new console is the son of a and then it cuts off. I don't I don't know if they were going the son of a bitch. This new console is the son of a bitch. I don't I don't think they were going for that phrase. (laughs) You've never heard of the son of the bitch. Right. Two uses of what the heck. One use of who the heck. So apparently that is now profanity. (laughs) There is a reoccurring joke about the amount of swear words Anger knows but doesn't get to say. When he finally says one, it is bleeped out by fear. And then some name calling. Crazy, idiot, stupid, moron, dumb, nitwit. (laughs) Pops. Weird, old man, etc. Weisenheimer. Pops and old man are apparently now swears. No, they're name calling. Yeah, I know, but that it's under the profanity tab. I don't know. Uh, alcohol, drugs, and smoking, none, obviously. And then frightening and intense scenes. The last 15 minutes can be emotionally intense for many, mainly adults rather than children, as the film is about showing it is okay to be sad when life changes and people grow up. <laughs> so that's that's a warning for the parents right there. <laughs> a giant clown is featured as one of Riley's greatest fears. A major character dies by fading away, <laughs> quite sad and powerful. A dog is briefly seen apparently uh, cut by half. It says cut by half instead of cut in half. During a nightmare sequence, the head end then chases the tail end. Jeez. Riley's Did Salvador Dali direct this movie? Yeah. Well, it's, it's what, this is the uh, part where they go through, um, uh, it's a shortcut and they begin abstracting. Uh, but anyway, uh, Riley's teeth fall out in a dream sequence and in another one, a zombified rat appears in reference to a dead rat she finds in her house earlier. And those are, uh, those are all the things to watch out for in Inside Out. 
<laughs> I've never seen it, and uh, I don't think I ever will. I actually, it's a, it's a really good movie. You know who wrote it was, um, uh, oh, he's in Barry. He used to be on Saturday Night Live. Um, oh, he, uh, what's his name? Bill Hader? Yeah, Bill Hader wrote it, and he's written on South oh, Park and stuff like that, yeah. Uh, when I found that out, I found that out after I saw the movie, and I said, uh, oh, that, that makes sense. I was like, that's why it's so good, because Bill Hader wrote it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a very good one. You got one you want to do? Yeah, I actually went with a backup choice. Uh, I was initially going to do the movie The Dreamers because uh, my wife uh, is a big fan of that movie. But, oh, my God, it's uh, such a long thing. It would take me like 10 minutes to read all the uh, objectionable content in that movie. Okay. So instead, I went with one of my favorites, the uh, action slash comedy uh, Death Wish 3. Okay. Let's see. Uh, like you, I have to start with uh, sex and nudity. Yeah. And then it's, what's weird too is it says moderate. Like there's moderate sex and nudity, and two out of three people found it to be moderate. So that's why it's moderate. Okay. So one sex scene where a woman is raped, not too graphic, only lasts about forty seconds. <laughs> that's what it says. Not too graphic. A woman's raped. Eh, it's okay. <laughs> not that graphic. I mean, yeah, it's it's say, hey, if you're gonna like this scene. Maybe not. You don't get to see much. It's only it only lasts forty seconds, so yeah, it's barely time to uh, to, to it's barely time to finish. <laughs> <laughs> you can barely do your belt buckle method. <laughs> oh god! Uh, but yeah, not too graphic. Oh no, no, no! no it's okay. Forty seconds is so long. Have you ever seen the movie Irreversible? Yes. Yeah, there's a scene in there that is too graphic. Probably lasts like two minutes, and it's like the longest thing ever. Yeah. And so this is only 40 seconds. But that's I, a long time. Yeah, 40 seconds is a long time on screen. Yeah, but it's not too graphic. Uh. All right, the next one is three men carried a woman with intent to rape her, but are interrupted. Her breasts are briefly visible. Again, who's that for? <laughs> is that a warning or a heads up? Right. <laughs> Check it out. Her breasts. Are, she doesn't. She, she doesn't actually get raped. So you know you you can't wait for that scene. But <laughs> but her breast is briefly visible. Yeah, if you fast forward between the two scenes quick enough, you know. Right. Uh, and then next after those two is two kissing scenes. Okay. <laughs> and if I recall, they're probably like the briefest. Like it's not like you know in depth like making out kissing. It's just like a peck. Well, that that kind of pales in comparison to the forty second rape scene. It kind of does. Oh god. Uh, and this this next one in the sex and nudity category, which is only moderate, only the only considered moderate by the uh, the fans of the IMDb. Mm-hmm. A man is shown putting on his clothes in front of a naked woman, covered in bed sheets, lying in bed after they've had sex off screen. So it's just like a man dressing, I guess. Like whatever. I mean, I'm sure they're. Yeah. You know, I'm sure it's tasteful. Well, of course. You would expect nothing else from the Death Wish franchise. This next part really blew my mind. Um, it's rated as severe by because two out of three people found it severe, therefore it's severe. You know, three whole people decided. You know, and the majority of them too. Right. Said it's severe. However, I see this movie and there's severe violence and gore. 
But I just think the way they came to that conclusion is odd to me. <laughs> so there are several scenes of gunplay with ranging amounts of blood splatter. And then there's only one other entry. It's other instances of violence, including a guy getting chopped up with an axe, obscured by a crowd of people, a guy getting his throat slashed. We only see the aftermath, not the actual slashing. And a guy stepping on some nails. Some blood is seen, and a few moments later, we see his bloody foot all bandaged up. An old woman's throat is slashed. Graphic, but very brief. <laughs> Mind you, there's quite a few entries in that one long run sentence. But yeah, that's, there's also a part where a guy gets uh, shot with a rocket launcher. They shoot him with a rocket launcher. <laughs> Another part, which is probably the most fucked up uh, thing in the whole movie, is this guy steals someone's... Ca- Camera. Uh-huh. Um, it's actually uh, Paul Kersey, played by uh, Charles Bronson. Okay. Buys like an expensive camera. Mm-hmm. Then the guy steals it. Like he starts to run up, ride away with it on his bike, facing away from him. He pulls out his gun and shoots him in the back. Yep. Just kills him. He just outright murders a guy. I actually have seen this movie then because I remember that scene very well. <laughs> yeah, it's of all the Death Wish. It's like it's like they were trying to go with comedy suddenly, and I don't understand it. Oh. Okay. For profanity, we have a few F-bombs here and there, including one or two use of motherfucker. Alcohol, drugs, and smoking. Some drugs are occasionally seen and used. Nice. Well, if you're going to see them, might as well use them. Yeah. Yeah, good point. I'd be worth they're occasionally uh, used but not seen. They just were graphically <laughs> describing, I just used heroin. <laughs> The next category is frightening intense scenes. Quite a few somewhat intense scenes, namely the rape, several instances of innocent people being beaten or mugged, and the long, over-the-top shootout at the end. Oh, God. Death wish. I think they mentioned this rape in, like, three other categories. Makes me think it's maybe a little graphic. Yeah. It's very maybe. memorable, for sure. Right. Mainly that rape. <laughs> Oh, so the other, the I other like uh, Charles Bronson's role. Holy shit! Did you see that rape in this movie? <laughs> that would be funny if, uh, if in the if in the movie they just keep referencing it. Man, that rape seemed to go on for a while. <laughs> that was brutal, man. <laughs> but you know, uh, not moderate. Just about moderate. It's about it's about you know just at the edge, not quite graphic, right? Oh, like... certainly not too graphic. <laughs> So the other one that I looked up is um, Forrest Gump, which, you know, you think about as one of those um, just kind of like nice family movies and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, they point out some things in here that I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that happened. (laughs) But uh, sex and nudity, moderate. There's a lot of stuff in here. Uh, there is some sexual suggestive material as well as some nudity and a few sh- sexual references. These scenes are detailed below. Uh, so a young woman strips down to her underwear in front of a man and asks him if he has ever been with a woman. He says no. She then takes off her bra and we see her entire bare back and catch a very quick glimpse of the side of her breast. Parentheses, no nipple. <laughs> there should be like a sad face after that. Yeah, that'd be great. When she places the man's hand on it, the man looks away at first, but takes a peek after a few seconds. She then puts her bra back on, and he comments that he ruined the robe he was wearing, implying that he ejaculated sperm. Oh, my. As opposed to ejaculating what else? He ejaculated <laughs> he ejaculated confetti. 
<laughs> you could just say you could just say ejaculated. That gets the point across. Yeah. Oh. Is this guy? Is this guy a former classmate of mine? Right. <laughs> a man tosses another man a pornographic magazine and makes a reference to a picture inside it. The second man opens the magazine. I, I always love too how they they can't specify characters or anything. It's like <laughs> we know who you're talking about. We're just being objective here, okay? The second man opens the magazine and we see a quick quick glimpse of a picture of a topless woman as he turns a page. We then see a picture of another woman with with one bare breast showing. The first image is so quick it is easy to miss. The second is somewhat blurry and small due to and due to the location of the woman's nipple. The breast almost looks fake. It's This, this is like a criticism. Yeah. <laughs> The first one's so quick, and the the second one's blurry, and it, I mean, it looks it almost looks fake. I can't do anything with this. Oh, uh, we see a locker room scene where a man is covering his crotch with a towel, but you can see his pubic hair easily. In later scenes, you see various parts of his bandaged bottom after getting a bullet wound. So apparently, I never noticed this before because I guess I'm not as eagle-eyed <laughs> as the uh, the parents that uh, you know screen this for their kids or whatever. But I guess you can see uh, Tom Hanks's pubes in Forrest Gump. I did not realize. Okay. A woman climbs into bed with a man. She removes her top to reveal her bare back, and they kiss passionately. Sex is implied. <laughs> Let's hope so. Huh? <laughs> I was gonna say that's quite a tease if sex isn't implied after that. That's Especially what, if it's Forrest, you never know what he might do if he's cut off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's right. That's uh that's a me too moment waiting to happen. <laughs> uh it is implied that a young girl is being sexually abused by her father. Um, I, I don't like that this is in the sex and nudity category. <laughs> Cause I, I would rather this be in the violence category, I guess. Because I don't know, that's that's to me, yes. It is definitely implied that her and her sisters are Jenny and her sisters are being sexually abused by uh, their father. That's uh, that's not sexy in any way. So maybe frightening and intense. Yeah, exactly. Um, So uh, yeah, Uh, a man and a woman have implied sex noisily off screen while a child listens from outside. The child later mimics the sound, (laughs) the loud heaving sounds the man was making as the man leaves. (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Gorbley. Yep, that's right. Violence and gore, also a lot. I mean, it's it's the the sex and nudity was labeled as moderate. Violence and gore is labeled as moderate. But uh, they talk about uh, I can't. It take way too long to read all this. But um, they talk about the Vietnam War and uh, which uh, fighter planes drop incinerator bombs on a jungle. Weapons are fired. Several men are being shown shot. Uh, a woman implies she is considering suicide by getting up on the le- uh, on a ledge on the side of a bridge. Uh, you know, uh, let's see. An African-American man shouts at a white man that the goal of the white people is to rape and kill African-Americans and destroy their communities. This is brief, but it has strong racist overtones and may be upsetting. Another racially tense scene includes a brief depiction of the 1963 stand in the schoolhouse door incident. We hear a couple of racial slurs uttered. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So, uh, profanity. One use of fuck it. Mild use of profanity concentrate, concentrated in a few scenes. Two uses of fucking, non-sexual context. Ten uses of the word shit, one of which is in writing. Around 30 uses of religious profanity, including goddamn. Around five uses of sexual terms, mostly in reference to breasts, including tits. One use each of coon and... I, should I say it? It's the N-word. I mean, I'm just reading I'm not, it. I'm not part of what you do here, so... I'm not going to say it, but you know what word I'm referring to. But, uh, yeah. See, isn't it worse that you made me think it? Yeah, I know. The Louis. You made me complicit in your uh, cowardice. <laughs> Alcohol, drugs, and smoking. There's certainly a lot of that. Also moderate. A woman is shown snorting cocaine. We don't actually see the cocaine, but we see her hair covering it and her just about to snort it. It is later implied that she had just injected herself with heroin. Cigarettes are shown in an ashtray in a hotel room. <laughs> that seems... Those two things, side by side, the juxtaposition of a woman snorting heroin, or snorting cocaine after just having having injected heroin, and then cigarettes are shown in an ashtray, just don't seem to go together. <clears throat> Bongs, ashtrays, Bottles of pills, needles, and other drug paraphernalia are shown a couple of times. We never see them being used, however. <clears throat> so I guess there, they, they're not used. A man smokes a cigarette and drinks alcohol in several scenes. Because he just got his legs blown off. <laughs> Frightening and intense scenes. Also moderate. <clears throat> this is the first thing that it says. A very emotional film. <laughs> so I, is that a warning? <laughs> I don't. I don't get. I don't that. know. I do like how you said because he had his legs blown off. Right. So he started. You're clearly, you're clearly with Lieutenant Dan on this. You you justify his behavior. Yeah, I would be an enabler for Lieutenant Dan. Like, well, you think you're, you want to kill someone? Well, you think your legs blown off? Right. Hey, look. You know, it's owed to you. You had to go through this. A very emotional film. Most of the drug use, sexual material, and other such content in the movie is more implied than actually shown. A war scene in Vietnam is quite violent and has gunfire explosions and shouting. Yeah, the shouting is the uh, is the frightening part of that. I found that quite objectionable. Some bloody wounds are shown, and at least one man is killed. Soldiers are it's more than one guy is killed. Soldiers are later seen seriously injured, and some with missing limbs and bandaged in a hospital. A man's legs are amputated off screen as a result of what happened in the aforementioned Vietnam War sequence, and he is for some time depicted as being bitter and depressed and as having turned to alcohol to deal with his loss. Well, do you fucking blame him? Wait, he has. Whoa. I mean, shit. The guy's legs got destroyed. He's bitter and depressed. Destroyed. He's bitter and depressed. You just specifically know that they're just so mangled like ground beef. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. <laughs> oh. A woman dies of an unnamed disease that is implied to be AIDS. Yeah, it's definitely AIDS. So actually it was supposedly hepatitis, uh, some one of the producers or directors said so. Really? Full blown hepatitis. <laughs> <laughs> a woman dies of cancer 
That would be his mom. So that is Forrest Gump's Parents Guide. So if you're going to let your kids watch this movie, um, that is what they're in for. You know, it's messed up. Hmm. It doesn't mention that his uh, mother fucked uh, Mr. Gorpley so he could get into school. And they just don't find anything wrong with that. Apparently not. They only find... You gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you want your kid with an IQ of 70 to get bumped up 10 points so that he can get into regular school. You gotta fuck a few Mr. Gorpleys. That's a lot of points. Yeah, that is. It's a large difference in ability. Oh, certainly. Well, she said, you know, he was like anybody else. Well, she wasn't wrong, but at the same time, she was trying to be a burden on the impoverished uh, district they lived in. That's true. I'll tell you who's not a burden. Uh, this week, we're doing a, uh, a little promo swap. I'm not sure exactly when, when our promo is going to appear on their podcast, but I will let you know when that happens. But we are proud to present a promo for the Movie Geek and Proud podcast uh, there are a couple of guys that talk about uh, movies. They have unique takes on uh, what they like in in their in their movies, and they uh, they look at things through the lens of basically uh, kind of homosexual uh, issues and stuff like that. Whether it's uh, you know people you know homosexuality being jokes in movies or actual homosexual characters in movies. Uh, that's not all they do, obviously, but that's a big part of what makes them unique, and it offers a a, um, a different perspective uh, for people on uh, on movies. And and if you are homosexual, it offers you you know uh, a something someone that can kind of uh, put put word to what you think about uh, when it comes to to films because they're they're both very smart and articulate gentlemen I listen to their podcast all the time and I will edit in their promo right here seamless transition hi I'm Rob and I'm Sean and we are movie, movie geek, geek and, and proud. proud. A movie podcast where two gay movie geeks review current and older movies of all genres, good and bad. We also pick titles and share our opinions on films that are either not well known or guilty pleasures. But we are proud of our taste and encourage all other movie geeks to do the same. And it's not just movie reviews on our show. We play games, trivia, movie drafts. We have guests come on and even the occasional skit. <laughs> you can listen to our show on your favorite podcast apps, including SoundCloud, Podbean, and iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at MGNP Podcast. And remember, every movie has at least one fan. You're so cheesy. What? How's that cheesy? And every movie does not have at least one fan. Uh, I say it does, and you can't prove it doesn't. You can't prove it does. Yes, I can. That's why we're doing this show. It's like every time you want to start with me, I don't understand. No, you yes, can't. You so can. I'm, I'm no, telling you, they ridiculous. always have to do. You always do this. Movie Geek and Proud, a new episode every Wednesday. So that was uh, the uh, Movie Geek and Proud podcast. Uh, like I said, they're going to air a promo for us uh, in the next couple of weeks or so. This is something they do a lot where they they. 
they kind of uh, swap promos with people, so I know we're on the list. But uh, Mike and I have done our part and sent our stuff in. But uh, definitely give them a, a listen. Uh, I'm a neophyte and a moron, so I listen on uh, Apple <laughs> Podcasts. I know a lot of people don't like that uh, that thing for whatever reason, but it works well for me. I don't know what complaints people have. But that's where I listen to them, but they're everywhere. They're on uh, Stitcher. They're on Google Play. Anywhere that you can listen to us, you can find the Movie Geek and Proud podcast. And I, I like listening to them a lot. So give them a, give them a listen. And uh, let them know that, uh, that we sent you. But, uh, Mike, before we get into our main topic of the day, I have decided to return to the world of comic books for this edition of Educating Mike. And I, I don't think this is one that you've seen, but it has some elements of stuff that you might like. This is uh, The Avengers, the Marvel uh, superhero team. This is The Avengers number 239, The Avengers on Late Night with David Letterman. No, I haven't seen that one. This is a comic that came out in 1984. Uh, So David Letterman was still on NBC, still doing the show after... uh, Actually, it was quite early in uh, in his tenure there, doing the show after... Uh, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And uh, we begin with, apparently, and I haven't read a lot of the ones before this, but apparently Hawkeye had been in some shenanigans uh, before before this episode because he comes back to the mansion holding, um, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but I'll, I'll get to it. But he's uh, his wife. He's, uh, he's uh, carrying her across the threshold. The Scarlet Witch? No, no, it's, um, she's also a bird-related superhero, (laughs) but, um, so so Hawkeye comes in and says, hey, everybody, your wandering boy Hawkeye has come home, and you'll never guess what I've gone and done. I don't, apparently, at some point, Hawkeye was southern-ish, I guess, I don't know, but, uh, he says, here we are, hun." Across the threshold of our home away from home. How do you like it? She says, it's quite fancy, but there's nobody here. So no one's in the mansion. And this is kind of a heads up that this is going to be sort of the B-list adventures team. Because uh, the the vision uh, appears as a disembodied head. And he, he explains to him that uh, they had a run-in with uh, a villain who disabled his body and Howard Stark was able to fix things so that he could float as a as a his consciousness could float as a as a dismembered or disemboweled entity basically and um while his body is being repaired in uh in a machine it's also another way to get the most powerful avenger out of the way because if this thing that they that they face, this villain that they face, if Vision was there, it would last about two seconds. But v- Vision asks him what uh, who the girl is and everything. And uh, the Vision, it's also, or I mean, uh, Hawkeye, this is also played for laughs a little bit in his last adventure. He, uh, he suffered some hearing loss, so he has problems hearing. But he tells him that, uh, you know, he went on an adventure met this girl, and they just got married. Basically, they've known each other for uh, for 
all of 24 hours and they decided to get married. So that's, uh, you know, that's, that's what you want. (laughs) I'm sure that relationship won't crash and burn. But, but, uh, anyway, so, uh, the vision explains to him that most of the, uh, rest of the Avengers are on the West coast dealing with, uh, personal matters and, uh, you know, that, uh, he can just kind of hang out here and everything. And so he decides to hang out with his, uh, his wife and then the phone rings and it is, um, Wonder Man, I think that's his name. Yeah. Uh, and he's calling. He has a, I don't know how much you know about him, but his alter ego is a Hollywood actor. And his his agent has decided that the fact that he's a reserve Avenger is good enough reason to book him on David Letterman's show. And he wants him to bring some other Avengers along with him. So he calls up Vision, you know, and Vision says, okay, you know, we'll get right on that. So he puts the call out to, and no offense to these Avengers, but they definitely were B-listers back in the day. He puts the call out to Wakanda for some reason to call Black Panther in. Black Panther says, of course, he'll come. Uh, The Beast from uh, the um, X-Men calls him in. Uh, Black Widow calls calls her in and then we switch we switch to just a few hours later elsewhere in the city there's a guy working on a big souped up car here all right and his dad comes in and says uh well, I figured I'd find you in your workroom so if you're working on your machines again maybe uh maybe are you planning some more mischief and he says Fabian I'm glad I'm glad your poor mother didn't live to see what's become of you. It would break her heart. And he says, oh, give me a break, old man. I'm the one that won the state lottery. And I get to decide how I'm going to spend this money. So it's a guy who won. The villain of this comic book is a guy who won the state lottery and decided that what he was going to do with all that money that he won is to just make mischief. There is no other motivation behind this. So we see uh, on the TV, David Letterman comes on and says, "Hey, I'm David Letterman, and you won't believe, and you won't want to miss uh, late night tomorrow when my guests will be the Avengers." So he takes this as a uh, a springboard to, okay, I'm going to fuck up the Avengers appearance on David Letterman. So somehow, I don't know how he does this, but he ends up getting uh, getting tickets to David Letterman's show. I, I would think that those would be, you know, kind of a few days in advance or something like that. But uh, he gets the tickets, and everyone kind of shows up, these, these B-list adventures. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're, they're ready to appear on the program, and you, you, we see the villain... Kind of disguise. First, he disguises himself as uh, a um, a maintenance worker so that he can put his stuff into place, and then he puts on a fake beard and some fake clothes to be an audience member. No one knows this guy or what he looks like. Why does he have to disguise himself to just be a regular audience member? 
It makes no sense to me. But anyway, so uh, Hawkeye and, and his group get into, uh, you know, they get backstage. They're in the green room. They're ready to go. David Letterman comes out. And, you know, first of all, they've got the gap between the teeth and everything. It's a pretty good likeness of David Letterman. But I have to imagine that David Letterman didn't have a ton to do with this comic because the jokes are just painful. There there are some really bad jokes in here. And, uh, you know, he says, oh, we've got something special tonight. Paul says, yes, hard to believe, isn't it? But with all due respect to uh, Mr. White, uh, I can't remember who he's talking about there, some other guest. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. He says, um, in fact, it's probably the most special show since we had our Camping with Barry White episode. <laughs> Which, it's like, why? how is that funny? But he says, so no respect to Mr. White, but I think you'd all agree that this is a great moment in uh, TV history. And it's the Avengers, and all the Avengers have come out, and they're sitting there. So it's Wonder Man, Beast Man, uh, Black Widow, Hawkeye and Black Panther. So <clears throat> just the the real dregs of the of the adventures. Uh at least especially for this era. Obviously Black Panther is more popular now, but I would say that even Black Widow and um and Hawkeye even now are, you know, like they're the weakest Avengers for sure. But uh so anyway they start talking and, uh, you know, oh, the Avengers have always tried to maintain a healthy reserve because he's like, oh, there's, you know, this isn't even the whole team. There's a lot of you, right? Almost suggesting like, hey, I thought I was going to talk to Iron Man and Thor and stuff. you know. And uh, they're like, oh, we've got, you know, we've got a lot of reserves and everything. Um, and uh, Beast says that he's uh, forming his own group, uh, the Defenders, which anyone that is familiar with... Uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe knows The Defenders was uh, a show that was on Netflix, part of that the Netflix arm of the MCU, which is probably not going to happen anymore because all those shows are canceled now. But Beast was, you know, Beastman was not part of that. But uh, I keep calling him Beastman, but it's really just Beast because Beastman was the, uh, the He-Man villain, right? <laughs> Something like that. I think it was. But... Uh, he says, uh, so Hawkeye says, oh, that's a bombshell that, uh, you know, we just dropped uh, here. And um, so David Letterman says, first question. And he says, well, David, the Avengers is a nonprofit organization fully sanctioned as a peacekeeping force and just about every international organization you could think of. And they've got the whole he like, you know, that David Letterman laugh. He goes, you don't say. And he goes, you know, I was just about to ask you something along those lines. You wouldn't be psychic by chance. And, of course, Hawkeye has no powers other than being able to shoot an arrow. And he says, um, you know, oh, no, you know, I don't. Uh, a lot of the founding members are psychic, but not me. And uh, and he says, oh, I heard you were recently married. And he says, yeah. So the guy sitting in the audience speaks for the entire comic book reading world when he says, I've, I've had enough of this. <laughs> and he clicks something on his watch and one of the cameras starts shooting out a laser beam. So 
the you know a lot of the rest of this is uh, is some extended fight scenes where there's lasers shooting around. There's a bunch of other um, bunch of other stuff uh, you know firing, and the Avengers are trying to fight against it. So Fabian, this uh, villain, he comes down from the audience, and then he sits in the chair next to David Letterman, and he says, "Good evening, Dave." You don't have to worry anymore. It's safe in here. And David says, well, that's certainly reassuring. And who might you be? And he says, I'm Fabian Stankowitz. I created the machines that have the Avengers helpless. And David says, is that so? And then there's a thought bubble of him thinking, I'd better humor humor this twitso until a security (laughs) team can get here. So Fabian says, it's a real thrill to be here. And Fabian, and uh, David says, for me too. And then um, he's like, you know, why are you doing this, basically? And he says, to prove it could be done. You know, to show the incredibly gift, that one incredibly gifted individual can accomplish anything. And he says, to get your name in the papers? And he goes, yeah, that too. So he's just, he's looking for fame, I guess. Like, I I don't understand. (laughs) He says, I want to make a name for myself. As, as the uh, like, I want to make a name for myself as big as the Avengers. <laughs> and David says, "It seems to me that Stankowitz is already a pretty big name." So then he starts monologuing about you know all this stuff. Like basically, he just wants to be famous. So <laughs> this seems like such a ridiculous convoluted play. He could have done so many more things to be famous than villainy, but he he reveals that. They're uh, they're covered by a force field and nothing can get in where he and David are sitting at the desk because that's uh, a force field generated by something on his belt. And uh, so David Letterman says, oh, that's great. And he goes, um, he goes, do you have any other weapons on you right now? And he's like, no, no. He's like, don't worry, you're totally safe, Dave. So Dave says, oh, in that case, he, and he picks up a giant doorknob. <laughs> Now, this is maybe the most believable thing in this comic book, that David Letterman, during this era, would have a giant doorknob. <laughs> but it's a, do- <laughs> it's a doorknob basically half the size of David Letterman. And he uses it to slam him in the head, which, I mean, he doesn't die, but that would definitely kill him. <laughs> and then he takes the uh, the thing off of his belt and uh, says, you know, okay, the Avengers, you can get them now. And uh, the Avengers end up destroying all of his uh, things, all of his his gadgets. And the guy goes, the guy goes, it took me months to build these things, and you destroyed them in less than five minutes. And then he has a thought bubble that says, everyone's forgotten about me, even though he just shouted that. Everyone's forgotten about me, so I should take advantage of that. But then Hawkeye's wife shows up and says, uh, "Oh no, you're, you're you're going to jail." So she throws him at a bunch of cops, and they arrest him. And uh, David Letterman says, uh, "Oh, you know, you're going to love this show." So they're, they're sitting down, they're ready to watch the show and everything. And then a special news bulletin comes up, interrupting the show so that nobody gets to see it because a chemical barge has uh you know is is in the east river barreling out of control by the way the east river is maybe the most polluted waterway on the planet so a chemical barge 
sinking on there is not going to really make much of a difference. But uh, the B-grade Avengers say that they're going to go out to stop it. And that is where our comic ends. I assume it probably picks up after that with whatever they do with this chemical barge. But <laughs> very ridiculous, uh, a very ridiculous comic, ridiculous plot. Seems very uh, odd. Yeah, it was not a great one. But uh, before we get into the main topic, we have two things we need to do. Those of you who uh, have been paying attention on Facebook and Twitter and everything know that we have a giveaway that we're doing. And we're going to do it live tonight on uh, on the air here. And you will hear it when this comes out on Thursday. It's kind of like it's live to you when you're listening to it for the first time, even if it's, you know, 10 years from now. But uh, before we do that, we are going to read an ad because, you know, ads aren't just a way for us to pay for the show. They're, they're the heart of America. And I think too often people forget about how great ads are. So we're going to do an ad now as a, as a special treat for you guys. All this month, obviously, we are promoted and sponsored by Collector Mount. It's not just a way to, you know, string up your enemies and uh, and lead to murder and stuff like that. You know, our, the CEO of Collector Mount doesn't advocate that you use his... Um, his products to to kill people but uh he wants you to use them to to hang up those those forgotten things you know the the dvds and the old records and the the blu-rays and the laser discs if you ever were a millionaire and had a laser disc from 1988 to 1989 but um all those the great artwork and all that stuff especially the the um the records they're a lost art now and they just sit in your closet so order some collector mounts and mount them up on your wall i'm telling you it, it transforms how a room looks it makes it uh you know i, I i'm getting some I, i'm gonna put up uh you know van halen records i'm gonna put up some movies that i like and then when people come in they're gonna look at that and they're gonna say um Hey, that's uh, that's quite a thing there. What is that? Where'd you get that from? And I'm going to tell them that I went to comiccollectormount.com and it's only $4.99. $4.99 gets you started. Okay? Now, I have to read this uh, verbatim, Mike, this part. But um, uh, sure. this show is sponsored by Collector Mount. Introducing the new DVD movie Blu-ray mount. With the collector mount products, you can now mount it all. You can now display movies, DVDs, Blu-rays, magazines, trading cards, albums, comic books, CDs, books, and video games. There are five different mounting options to choose from. The DVD movie Blu-ray mount is a clear, adjustable display frame system. You can get those movies up on your wall or into any flat surface, as it can be used as either a wall mount, which is adjustable, or a shelf stand. 
It's the perfect display option and also pops your collectible off the walls, driving a cool 3D effect in the design. It's invisible, it's easy to install, it's adjustable, and it's affordable at just $4.99. You have to check these out. Now, if you are a listener of our show, and if you're not, I have no idea how you're hearing us right now. But Collector Mount is offering for Mike and my listeners 25% off. All you have to do is use the coupon code LATEFEE25. So when you go to Collector Mount and you order your Collector Mount, use the code LATEFEE25 and you will get 25% off your order. Already the low price of $4.99. It is the best deal in mountable collectible things that's out there. You have to check it out. Go to collectormount.com. You can also see uh, links. Well, I'll have links below this, and there will be links on our um, social media accounts where you can do that. Now, as a lot of you know, I'm sure, we have a contest. And the contest ended yesterday to allow us to do this today. So, we got a lot of good um, response to this. We'll probably do something like this again at some point in the future. But uh, we were uh, we were in the thousands as far as entries go um, for this contest. And uh, we are going to... I'm just getting to the page right now. We are going to draw a winner. There we go. All right. That. The prize is a $100 gift card to Amazon, which will be emailed to the winner tomorrow. Um, and, you know, this was a, like I said, it was a very successful contest. I'm glad you guys had fun with it. Uh, we'll probably do something like it again. Maybe uh, you can go to uh, Twitter. Uh, at Massive Late Fee, and let us know what kind of prize you would like. Should we do money again? Should we do something more like, um, you know, uh, Blu-rays or, or movies or or something like that? Do you want a movie pass for as long as, as movie pass stays out there for the next two months or whatever? Oh, God, movie pass. But uh, anyway, getting to the winner. So we are drawing right now. One winner. It's working. Okay. Our winner's name is Eileen Boyce. I will not give out your... Uh, wow. It's an... <laughs> okay. I don't know if this is... I don't know if... <laughs> I don't know if this is a... um. <laughs> if this is a valid email address anymore or not. Because it's a, Mike, it's a uh, at AOL.com email address. Are there still (laughs) at AOL.com email addresses? Okay. Yeah. Um, Oh, well, I have her, uh, I have her, um, I have Eileen's. um, Hot pot. No, what's (laughs) her Twitter, her Twitter handle. I have her Twitter handle on here too. So in case. uh, in case I need to get a hold of her that way. I just don't want to. But she is from Wheeling, West Virginia, in the United nice. States. What? Nice. Yeah. Um, and uh, she is the winner 
of our $100 contest. So Eileen, uh, I will be giving you, uh, I'll probably send you an email. Hopefully that goes through to at AOL.com. Um, if it does not, I will contact you on Twitter. I'll actually probably do both things. Hopefully you're listening. Uh, but uh, I will be contacting you and I will be sending you the Amazon $100 gift card. So that is our winner, Miss Eileen Boyce, Wheeling, West Virginia, USA. Uh, she, she won by uh, retweeting our tweets. There were uh, there were diff- several different ways that you could enter. That was uh, one of them, and that is what she did that caused her to be picked as the winner. So that is our contest, Thanks. and on to our main topic. Uh, Mike, you have not seen Holmes and Watson, correct? I have not. I have not seen Holmes and Watson. Um, there are certain ways that movies can be seen whether you go to the theater or you watch them from the comfort comfort of your home. And uh, sometimes I like to watch movies from the comfort of my home because I'm a shut-in. And uh, this one was not... I couldn't watch it from the comfort of my home. And from what I've heard, I'm not going out and paying $10 or $15 or whatever it is to watch it in the theater. So, we did not watch Holmes and Watson, but in the spirit of the probably, unfortunately, horrible Holmes and Watson movie, Mike and I have decided that we are going to talk about uh, the films of Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, the stars of um, that movie. And I guess the best place to start would be the first movie that they did together, which I believe was uh, Talladega Nights, correct? Correct. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, you want to uh, walk us through Talladega Nights? Sure. Um, the premise of Talladega Nights is that uh, Will Ferrell's character, Ricky Bobby, for me, very young age, is wanted to uh, be a championship race car driver. His dad was like a moonshiner or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he kind of has it in his blood. Uh, him and his friend uh, Cal Naughton Jr., played by uh, John C. Riley, work as a pit crew for a NASCAR uh, team. Then the driver just, <laughs> I can't remember exactly what he does. He goes to get some chicken and just never comes back. <laughs> so naturally, they throw Will Ferrell to the driver's seat and he uh, comes back and wins the race. So he becomes like a, uh, you know, a famous, uh, probably the best uh, NASCAR racer in the world. And then uh, he's challenged by the sudden emergence of a, uh, a Frenchman, played by um, Sasha Baron Cohen. Such character, thank you. Yep. Um, he drives a Perrier car, actually, but he's uh, he's actually um, gets into an altercation with Ricky Bobby, and he breaks his arm. And then, while Ricky Bobby's recovering, uh, the Frenchman Jean Pierre is just taking over the sport of NASCAR. Yeah, and uh, you know, obviously, it it'd be spoilers from there, but um, yeah, and I like this movie a lot, and it's funny because this is not really the type of movie that I would usually like, I don't think. Um, The humor is... There's some... You know, it's not entirely a dumb humor movie, though. Uh, There's some smart jokes in here, but it's a really well-written film, and Sasha Baron Cohen is great. I I love Sasha Baron Cohen a lot. And uh, we really get to see the chemistry between Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, which is uh, palpable. Um, but, uh, I really, I really enjoy this movie a lot. It's one of my favorite 
Will Ferrell movies for sure. Yeah, it was something that I didn't want to see when I saw the previews for it, but it was on cable at some point, and I just happened to watch it, and it's like, wow, there's a lot of solid jokes, you know. Like you said, uh, the interplay between uh, John C. Reilly and uh, Will Ferrell. Also, the cast is pretty amazing. Gary Cole plays uh, Will, Fer- Will Ferrell's uh, father. Yep. Um, Jane Lynch plays his mother, I think. Yeah. Yep. Um, and the, I don't know his name, but he was actually on Justified. He played the father in uh, the John C. Reilly movie, Walk Hard. Oh, yeah, that? yeah. The wrong kid died. Yep, yep, yeah. He plays uh, the grandfather, and he's hilarious. There's like one of my favorite scenes is they have a, uh, I think it's Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner, and just like the the whole dialogue there is just hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very solid movie. I mean, there's a lot of really good performers. I mean, Molly Shannon's in it. Um, the guy from Will and Grace, maybe? He plays her husband. Is that where he's from? Um, no, I don't think it's Will and Grace. Some other one of those shows that I'll never watch. Um, Michael to... Clark Duncan's in it. Yeah, yeah, Michael Clark Duncan's. I, and I like Gary Cole a lot, too. Um, I'm trying to think who... I know Elvis Costello's in it for for like very briefly. Oh, is it? I didn't even know that. Yeah. Um uh David Keckner, is that who you're talking about? Um that's not who is he he might be the team no no, that's it was a team owner's son. I can't remember who plays him. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Um Oh, I can't think of his name, but I know I can picture his face. Yeah, I, I he might no, he was on Ali McBeal, that's a show he was on. But I just don't. I never watched it. I just saw him in the previews. Yeah, Andy Richter's in it too. Yeah, Andy Richter, the Swedish German. Yeah, lot, there's a lot of you know really funny people in the movie. Uh, the movie's very solid all throughout. Yeah, there's really not any parts that even like slow it down. I wouldn't say. Yeah, for sure. Greg. Oh, it's funny because the guy's name is Greg German. Not so, oh, that's, that's not funny. Swedish German, but Greg German. <laughs> but yeah, he yeah he was on Ali McBeal. That's right. Um, but yeah, I can. Pay, he's one of those guys that when you see him, you're like, oh yeah, I know, uh, I know who that is. I know that, I know that fucking face. <laughs> yep. But uh, yeah, the, like incredible cast. I mean, like you know, Amy Adams is in the cast. There's there's a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, that either went on to become famous or were famous and really solid uh, comedians that are in that movie. Definitely a. Uh, one you want to check out, even if you've kind of avoided it because you're like, oh, it doesn't really look like my my type of humor. It um, it's a solid it's a solid movie. It's not the best movie they've done together, because the best movie they've done together is the next movie they did together, Step Brothers. Yeah, that is. Uh, I love that movie, <laughs> Step Brothers. That's another one I didn't have any expectations for with the previews, but when I saw it, it was like immediately one of my favorite movies. It's just perfect. It's like hilarious. It's a ridiculous premise. They're both funny in it. Um, I mean, it's just a great movie all throughout. The cast, again, is amazing. And, you know, it's worth pointing out that both films were directed by uh, Adam McKay, who... Um, yeah, I think he's a long time. Uh, he directs a lot of Will Ferrell. He's like his writing partner. He was on SNL writing at the same time Will Ferrell was a performer. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Adam McKay is uh, is very good, a very good writer and director, um, you know, he did anchor. Also, what are the what are the founding members of the uh, Upright Citizens Brigade? Yeah, that's right. But uh, yeah, he uh, so he he directed both movies, and you know, Step Brothers is another one that has a uh, 
a pretty good cast. There's uh, um, Richard Jenkins, who's another one of those. Oh, that guy. Uh, you know, he was in uh, the fish fucking movie. <laughs> that one, mm. that one uh, best picture. Uh, Mary Steenburgen's in it. Uh, Adam Scott and, and Catherine Hahn. I like Adam Scott a lot. Um, there is, uh, he's one of those guys that there are, there are lots of stuff. There's lots of things that he does that are sort of under the radar that I really like. There's this thing. Um, I don't know if you ever saw it, Mike, but it's called the greatest event in television history. Did you ever see it? No, I've never even heard of it. Okay. So it was on, um, I want to say it was on adult swim on uh, the Cartoon Network. And it was basically, it was like a little like 15 minute long thing. So it's not even a full, you know, half an hour thing. But um, he did four or five of them, I believe. And he got um, uh, the guy that hosts Survivor. What's his name? Um, Jeff Probst. Yeah, that's right. Jeff Probst hosts it. And um, basically, it's every time they do it, it's them. This is what the greatest event in television history is supposed to be. They reenact, and you can find it on YouTube. They reenact a, an opening from a different television show. The first one they do is Simon and Simon, and Adam Scott created this, and he's in every one of them. Um, but uh, Adam Adam Scott and John Hamm do the Simon and si- the the opening sequence to Simon and Simon. The next one is uh, is Heart to Heart with Amy Poehler, Horatio Sands, and Adam Scott. The uh, one after that is Too Close for Comfort, which has Catherine O'Hara, uh, Chelsea Peretti, who's a uh, who's on uh, that Brooklyn Nine Nine show, Catherine Hahn, John Glazer, uh, and Jason Man- uh, Mansaukas. I think is how you pronounce his name. A lot of people might not know the name, but if you've ever watched the the league he's the one that plays Raffi the uh, the um the brother-in-law that uh, that everyone hates and then the last one they did was too close for comfort with Adam Scott and Paul Rudd which also and I actually I'm not I'm not even going to say because you should there's a couple there's some cameos in here that are great in the, this last one but you should um you should uh check out this uh this thing it is hilarious and there are several there are several it's because it's so ridiculous first of all the uh, the idea that this would be the greatest event in television history but um even more like there's so many ridiculous lines like uh john ham during the simon and simon shoot for some reason just keeps getting colder and colder despite the fact that it's warm outside and he can't seem to to get warm and then there's a thing where it says uh john ham died later that night and then he comes back in the Too Close for Comfort episode because uh, for some reason Adam Scott uh, can't sit. It's uh, one of the things that he can't do. And uh, he has a special chair made up for him that uh, makes it look like he's sitting, but he's really just crouching. But he can't use that for the shoot for whatever reason. <laughs> and so John Ham comes back as a ghost looking kind of like a force ghost from star Wars where he's saying, he's like, John, John, you're back. And he's like, yeah, apparently I came back to help you sit. 
you know, and like, and the way he says it and everything in his voice, it's just perfect. But, um, so, uh, they go through the whole thing. He gets him to sit and then Jeff Probst comes on and he's like, he goes, so Adam could finally sit, which is great news, but I gotta say, not as great as the news that we now have proof that ghosts exist. And he's like, uh, and he goes, we got a fucking ghost, y'all. Or we, or we got proof of a fucking ghost, y'all. And it's just, I don't know, the whole the whole thing is it's one of those things that's completely silly, but hilarious. So I like a lot of what Adam's, not, not that any of this has anything to do with stepbrothers, but I like a lot of what Adam Scott uh, does. But basically, stepbrothers, um, you know, uh, uh, Will Ferrell's mom, who's played by uh, Mary Steenburgen, gets married to Richard Jenkins, who is John C. Riley's dad. And at first, they hate each other and everything. And then, uh, you know, during a basically kind of like a montage scene and everything, they uh, they find, and they're both, they're both like immature guys that, you know, they don't, they don't work. They don't, they're, they're very much alike where they, uh, they just have all these dreams and they don't, uh, they don't do anything to help um, the family or anything like that. But they, uh, they just, they discover that they really love each other. And, um, the rest of the movie is kind of them, you know, bonding and everything. It's really, the movie has a plot, but a lot of it is just to, it's just an excuse for Will Ferrell and John C. Riley to do funny things together, which is great. And this is, this is like, as far as comedies go, this is probably in my top five. Would you put it, uh, would you put it this high, Mike? Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. I, I love this movie. There's so many quotable parts, uh, great cameos i mean the just all the performances are great it's it's one of my favorite comedies for sure and it's you know that's funny the the how quotable it is is really a good kind of indication because it means that the writing is very solid and worth you know making people laugh just just with the writing of the uh of the movie and i can't think of the last comedy I mean, it might be Step Brothers, the last comedy that that was true for. I mean, and it's worth noting this movie is is over 10 years old now because it came out in 2008. But there's not a lot of comedies that have come out recently where it's like people quote them a lot because there aren't a lot of comedies with really great writing. And this has excellent writing. And that's a a big a big part of making a successful comedy, obviously, or with any movie, but especially, I think, comedies really rely on on writing. And I think that's part of why that Ghostbusters reboot was so bad. Because it was just... I didn't, think it was ter- I didn't think it was terrible. I saw it on HBO or something. Oh, I hate it so much. It's just so stupid. And I think the problem with it is, it's, there, it's just a bunch of ad-libbing. And... Because it's a bunch of ad libbing, they don't really have any characters. It, you know, like to for a movie like that. I mean, you can make a movie where it's like ninety percent ad libbed, and those are those Judd Apatow movies, like um, Knocked Up and stuff like that. That you know are about mundane things, 
and stuff and you can you know you can ad lib your way through that that's that's fine but uh a movie like ghostbusters you need a solid you need a solid basis of jokes to because you really need to establish the characters yeah i mean they they all try to be the quote funny one you know what i mean and it's just it doesn't work to for me i i didn't i there i don't think there are any jokes i laughed at in the movie at all I, I thought there were the part that I thought was the funniest was when Chris Helmsworth maybe okay yeah was like showing off his various logos for his companies and they were just like progressively more offensive that that to me was pretty funny yeah that part I I will agree with that that part was that part was was pretty humorous and the whole um I don't know why maybe because it was so dumb but I don't know why it made me laugh but the whole um my cat thing where he's talking about his dog and his dog's name is Mike Hat. But uh, yeah, did did you find the original Ghostbusters to be funny though? Oh yeah, uh, the see, I know you don't like Ghostbusters. the The original Ghostbusters might be my favorite comedy of all time. Yeah, see, I don't really find it funny at all, like that, or obviously the sequel. They just don't seem funny to me. And it's so weird to me that you don't think it's funny because the the humor of that movie is. Seems to me like the exact type of humor that you like, which is very like dry, sarcastic type humor, you know. Um, so yeah, it really surprises me that you don't that you don't like that one. But uh, yeah, I like that that uh, the original Ghostbusters. And here's the thing: it has nothing to do with them being women or um, or men or whatever. I think if they redid it, first of all, if the script was the same, it doesn't matter who 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 was in it; it would still be bad. And the actresses in the in the Ghostbusters movie are talented. I've liked a lot of stuff they've done in the past, um, but they were really let down here because they didn't write a good script. Um, but uh, yeah, and I, and I think making them women was the best thing that they could have done because I think if they went with guys, then they would have been way more compared to the original movie. And it would have, it just, it wouldn't have been able to be successful, I don't think. They, it, they, cause they would have been like, oh, you know, this guy's not Bill Murray, or, you know, if they tried to do something like that. But, you know, doing it with women, I thought was good because women obviously have different comic sensibilities. They look at things in different ways, they make different types of jokes. And I thought uh, that was a great idea. Unfortunately, they just, Paul Feig and uh, the woman that he works with, uh, whose name escapes me that uh, wrote on this. And I think she wrote the heat and a couple other things with him. Just, they did not write a good script. So I did not like it, but uh, anyway, back to uh stepbrothers. Um, so this, there are so many, there are so many funny parts of this movie and so many different funny lines. And just, it's another one that's like, you know, Phil Lamar, is in this movie. He does a lot of voiceover work and stuff. He used to be on man TV and everything. And he's, um, you know, he's hilarious. And the Matt and Matt Walsh and Rob Riggle, a lot of guys that, um, you know, different, uh, people that came up, um, you know, in the world of comedy that, uh, that are on this, in this movie. And Adam McKay seems to work with a lot of those types of people. Uh, you know, from like stand-up comedy and, and improv comedy and stuff like that. And, um, you know, just a fantastic film. But uh, maybe, I'll tell you, you mentioned it earlier. My favorite movie featuring John C. Riley is Walk Hard. 
Dude, yeah, I just saw that again this weekend. I I love that. That that movie is so funny to me. Um, there are so many great lines in that movie. It's it's the perfect parody uh, of those types of movies because you know around that time was when Walk the Line and Ray came out, and there were you know Hollywood seems to go through these cycles where they do uh, they do the same types of movies, a bunch of different studios do the same types of movies. And that was an era where they were doing uh, like musical biopics and, uh, or biopics of, of people from music. And um, it's the perfect parody of those types of movies. And it's just, it's, it's another one that's so smartly written. Um, uh, John C. Riley is great in it. Um, uh, Jenna Fisher. Jenna Fisher is hilarious in the movie. Uh, and uh, another Tim Meadows. Tim Meadows, yeah, yeah, he's really good in that. Tim Meadows is is sort of overlooked. Uh, you know, I remember we talked about Chris Rock before, and we talked about how Chris Rock is really not that great of an actor. Great stand-up, but not, uh, not that great of an actor, which I think is absolutely true. Tim Meadows is sort of... Uh, I haven't really seen any of Tim Meadows' stand... I don't think Tim Meadows has really done stand-up, um, as far as I know. Obviously, He's more of an improv guy, I'm not really sure, though. Yeah, obviously he was on um, Saturday Night Live and, and stuff like that. But Tim Meadows is one of those where I think he's both hilarious and a good actor. <laughs> and I really love him in this movie. <laughs> But, uh, you know, that... that... Yeah, I, I was uh, just watching some Norm McDonald videos earlier, and uh, he actually said... Uh, I was reading this interview in Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. and he at the time said Tim Meadows was the funniest cast member of uh, SNL, like in 97. Yeah, I wouldn't... I wouldn't uh, that's an opinion I would not disagree with. Um, you know, I think he's... I think he's the best. Uh, he is hilarious. And I've loved a lot of things that he's done before. But... Uh, Alan Park, Michigan's own. Yeah, that's right. But uh, the late Harold Ramis is, uh, you know, in this movie, plays one of the um, one of the uh, producers, producers. (laughs) the very stereotypical Jewish producers. Um, It really this goes on a journey, like uh, a real big journey um, that takes him from, you know, decade to decade and everything. Um, but it's, uh, it's just great. And, uh, Jake Kasdan directed this. He's, um, he's the son of, uh, Lawrence Kasdan, who, uh, wrote some of the Star Wars movies, most notably The Empire Strikes Back. And, uh, he's also a screenwriter and, um, and director now. And, uh, Judd Apatow and Jake Kasdan wrote the, uh, Screenplay to this, and I mean, it is, it's, when Judd Apatow sits down to write, especially with, you know, another talented person like, um, like Jake Kasdan, I'm telling you, he makes some of the best comedies out there, and this is just, this movie is just phenomenal. It's, and here's the thing, it's hard to, it's hard to critique comedies, because there's only so many ways that you can say it's funny 
or it or if it was bad, it just isn't funny. You know, like because because that's obviously the live or die thing with comedies. But this movie is hilarious. I loved it. You got uh, any more uh, Will Ferrell, John C. Riley movies you want to talk about? I know Walk Hard was about it. I mean, like my favorite part, I, I don't know why, but I really love when I'm watching something like a biography kind of movie. And there's like a famous person depicting another famous person. Like I'm always like obsessed with who will choose. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Walk Hard has like some hilarious choices. Like uh, my favorite. Oh, I, actually, it's not my favorite, but Frankie Muniz plays uh, Buddy Holly. Yep, that's right. Um, Jack Jack White is uh, is Elvis is great. Like that's I would say that's my favorite, but I think my actual favorite is uh, the Beatles. Yeah. With, uh, what is it? Paul Rudd, Jason Schwartzman, Jack Black, and some other guy. Oh, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Uh, who. Who else? Uh, oh, Jason, Justin Long. That's who. It that's is. right. Yeah, Justin Long. Yeah, and Super those George. those are all really good choices, actually, too, yeah. in the context of this movie. You know, uh, being being, oh, yeah, yeah. being a comedy and everything. But uh, and it's funny yeah. how um, how uh, I, I I had read about like you know the movie, and I guess Jack Black had like the worst British accent, so they made him be Paul for some reason, which was just. <laughs> He sounds Scottish if you pay attention to it. Yeah. Yeah, he really does. Oh. Hey, I found the name of that guy, Raymond J. Berry. Nice. That's the, uh, still alive, too, so good for him, 79. Um, that's uh, the guy that plays his dad and um, is in the uh, the Ricky Bobby movie as well. He's uh, justified. Yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. He was in The Goodbye Girl. Um in some movie called Cop, which came out in 1988. There was no movie named Cop uh, before then. Oh, yeah, and I remember him in this, The Ref. You remember that movie uh, with Dennis Leary? I've never seen it. Oh, that's another one of my favorite comedies. And yeah, he plays um, one of the the cops in that movie. He is hilarious in that as well. In that kind of I'm the straight man sort of way. Uh, Sure. Very good in in that movie. But yeah, he's uh, yeah he's done a lot of work. Good for him. But um, yeah, Raymond J. Barry, that's uh, the dad in Walk Hard. Um, what what do you think your favorite Will Ferrell movie is? Like no no John C. Riley, just Will Ferrell. I I honestly haven't really seen a lot of Will Ferrell movies. So mm-hmm. I I mean the ones my favorite ones are uh, is probably Step Brothers. You know. Right. Yeah. Um. Let me see. I know he was an old school, um, which yeah, was... Yeah, I like, I like that too, but I mean, as far as like a starring vehicle for him, I can't really think of any that I have actually seen. Well, Anchorman, I mean, that's maybe the big one as far yeah, as I him mean, being a star. That's, that's okay, I guess, but I, the only part I really enjoy of Anchorman is when they have the fight with the other stations. Every time I watch that, I just crack up so hard. Yeah. Anchorman's... Like, I'll watch the movie just to see that scene. Anchorman's one of those movies that the first time I saw it, um, I didn't really like it. And then I saw it again, and I was like, "Okay, yeah, I'm war- I'm warming up to it." Um, yeah, it does seem to grow on me the more I watch it. Yeah. Um. Let's see. So he was in Old School Elf. I like Elf. Um. You know, it's a little bit of a different sort of comedy, but I like watching that with my kids around Christmas time. Uh, Anchorman, Starsky and Hutch, which I did not see. 
I saw that. It was not good. The Wedding Crashers, which he's obviously not a star in. Um, he was funny and bewitched. <laughs> Did you really? Because I heard that was I heard that was bad. I just didn't see it. It's though. not a good movie, but he's funny in it. I don't know why. I don't know what it is about him, but he's he's. I I I thought he was humorous in the movie, but the movie itself is is not very good. Oh, here's the answer for me. This is my this because I, I like this movie a lot. Uh, this is and this is isn't really a comedy, or at least not. Not a standard comedy, but the the will the movie that Will Ferrell's in that I like the most is called Stranger Than Fiction. Okay, I, I've seen previews for that. It looks interesting. I just haven't seen it. Yeah, the premise of the movie is that it's it's kind of weird because he both exists in the real world, but he is also his life is being written and controlled by um, Emma Thompson, who is a writer. And and the thing is, is it's it's made clear at one point in the movie that they live like it. The world she, she what she's writing about isn't like a world all of its own. He exists in the world she exists in. Just for some reason, she happens to be writing his life story without knowing it and controlling everything that happens in his life. Um. So it's a very interesting premise. And uh, it's a movie that I like uh, a lot. Um, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal is uh, is in the movie as well. Uh, Dustin Hoffman and Queen Latifah, and obviously Emma Thompson, as I said. And that's uh, that's a good one. Blades of Glory. Um, I've seen that. It's okay. It's almost the opposite of Anchorman for me on that one. That's one that the first time I saw it, I said, "Oh, this is this is very funny," and then. Subsequent times watching it, thinking that's not as good as I thought. <laughs> uh, Semi Pro, which has the Michigan connection because they play for the Flint Tropics. Yeah, I didn't see that one. It didn't look even a little interesting to me. Eh, it's okay. I mean, the the thing is, is like I would put it firmly in the the category of it's okay. The other guys, which is another Adam McKay movie, which I I liked. Um, it's, it's not, I haven't, you know, the funny thing is, is that's one that I haven't ever watched again after watching it for the first time. So it's a little hard to remember, but I do remember liking it. I do remember thinking it was, it was funny. Oh. Uh, Megamind, which she plays the voice in. That was one of my daughter's favorite movies when she was about five years old. And I, I, I enjoy that movie too. Um, I haven't seen it. Anchorman 2, which I haven't seen. Uh, the Lego movie, which she's only in a little bit. Get Hard, which I saw maybe the beginning of and I turned off because I was like, <laughs> life is... Like, that's not what I was expecting with that title. <laughs> yeah, I see I see Will Ferrell and um, and Kevin Hart and Allison Brie and the movie's called Get Hard. You know, I, I'm expecting something else. <laughs> uh, the House, which I also haven't seen. I think Amy Poehler's in that. They, I haven't even heard of that one. They convert their their home to a like underground gambling place, an underground casino. Um, and then Daddy's Home and Daddy's Home Two. I have not seen those either. Yeah. I don't so know. that is uh, you know it for Will Ferrell. John C. Riley obviously um, did some work on television. Uh, probably maybe even more known 
for his television stuff than for his movie stuff at the beginning of his career. I'd say he's probably more known for his movie stuff now. But, um, but yeah, he did, uh, he, I mean, he started way back in 1989 as a, um, a kind of serious actor. You know, he was in Casualties of War, uh, the Brian De Palma movie. Uh, he had a small part in uh, Days of Thunder. Um, he was in Hoffa. Uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, he was in that, you know, so he did a lot of um, very kind of like serious movies, and he, he uh, I don't, I wouldn't say this was necessarily a breakout role, but he was in Boogie Nights, and I think that's kind of, because he had a, a... That's the first thing I recognize him from, really. Yeah, and I think he had a bit more of a, a prominent role, I mean, obviously still a, a character role in that movie, but a bit more of a prominent role in that movie. And I think that's kind of where people first started to, to notice him. And then he was in, uh, the thin red line, uh, the Terrence Malick movie and a perfect storm. And he was a little, and Magnolia, he was a little bit funnier in a perfect storm. He was sort of the comic relief character, but I mean, this is a good, you know, like 10, 15 years into his career. And yeah, you know, he uh, see, he did more comedy stuff on television where he was on, uh, you know, kind of like he was he played the Sasquatch and Tenacious D and and stuff like that. And and then obviously he was on the uh, Tim and Eric Awesome Show um, and uh, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, and he did work on the stage as well, which not a lot of um, of other comedians have done, like, you know, like legitimate uh, drama on the stage. But, uh, yeah, then he sort of started to get into more comic roles, um, after, uh, after he was in, um, Talladega Nights, actually, honestly, because before that he was, he did a lot of really serious stuff like, uh, you know, the aviator and, um, gangs of New York, you know, he's in that and everything. Mm -hmm. And, and then after that, he started to get into more stuff, but man, this guy, he's done a lot of, uh, a lot of movies. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then obviously he's the voice of Wreck-It Ralph, and he was a voice in Sing, which uh, my my kids know him from. And, oh, uh, there's a movie called Stan and Ollie about uh, uh, Laurel and Hardy. Stan, Laurel, and uh, Oliver Hardy. I, I For a second I thought it said Syphil and Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I got really excited that maybe they were making a Syphil and Ollie movie. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I don't know if any of you guys out there remember Syphil and Ollie, but it was on MTV way back when, and they were sock puppets that talked about uh, rock facts for the most part. <laughs> yeah. And they talked to Deuce Loosely instead of Ace Freely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, I bought those tapes off of like I couldn't find it like an official release, so I bought like these dub tapes off of uh, eBay. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, I'll, I have a like a full day. I like, woke up at like eight in the morning for some reason, and I like, sort of started pushing tapes to the machine. Right. And, like twelve hours later, I was like, you know, about halfway through because they're they were pretty short episodes. Uh-huh. But all of a sudden, the rest of the tapes just had no sound. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, there's no audio. I can't watch these anymore. I'm done. Oh, yeah. The audio is pretty important for Cephalonelli. It, yeah. it can't get along by just the visuals alone. Oh, uh, no. Oh. 
All right. Well, that is our show for tonight. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, if you want to send a message to the show, you want to tell us how much we suck, or you want to tell us uh, what you'd like to hear, something like that, you can send it to MassiveLateFee at gmail.com. You can find us at Twitter at MassiveLateFee, uh, MassiveLateFee on Facebook. We're on Bandcamp. Oh, we just did an uh, audio commentary for Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, which is on Netflix right now, so it's really easy to download that and um, and just uh, listen to that along with uh, the movie on Netflix. Um it's at bandcamp.com at massivelatefee.bandcamp.com. All this will be linked below, as always. Um, you can, uh, you know, you can pay as little as a dollar for it if you want to. Whatever you want to pay, we 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 check the uh, pay however much you want thing. You can also listen to it just on the uh, site itself for free if you uh, don't feel like giving us money. But you you should. You should give us money so that we can continue to do the show. Uh, speaking of that, you can also go to patreon.massivelatefee.com uh, or pa- patreon.com slash massivelatefee and um, contribute to our become a patron. You know, for as little as a dollar, you can uh, enjoy some early releases of the show, some uh, other perks that uh, are are fantastic. But uh, we've enjoyed talking to you. We'll see you next week. I think next week, Mike, we haven't really come up with one next week, but I think next week I was thinking maybe we could do our most anticipated movies of the year. Just kind of go through the list of movies and what we're looking forward to. short list of my end. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, we'll come up with something fun and we'll talk to you next week. Uh, And uh, special thanks to... um, to Collector Mount for sponsoring our episode. Thanks to Jason for the theme. Uh, thanks to RJ and uh, Leah and Miranda and anyone else who is on uh, Patreon with us. Uh, thanks for the support, everyone. And we will talk to you later. Uh, see you. Bye. Later.